Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome. You're listening to The Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kHz on your AM dial. Thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show highlighting issues around homelessness and rooming houses. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on The Living Free Show, we highlight one of the 12-step programs that assist recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling, and food addictions. Uh, Our guests share their recovery experience and show us that shared experience saves lives. Uh, Today, my guest is Jasmine, uh, from a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and she's going to be sharing how AA has helped her recover from alcoholism. So welcome to 3CR Studio this afternoon. Hi, Bill. Thank you. So we usually chat about growing up and going through life where alcohol comes in um what happens in life and what leads you to aa and and then what what's life's like after aa after being in aa i should say um so what was life like for you growing up yeah okay um yeah life for me was quite traumatic as a childhood um you know i grew up with um a mum with you know, mental illness, and she had me at 16 years old, and my dad was a practicing drug addict. And um, yeah, I think, you know, for me, my earliest memories were of, you know, my mum putting me to bed and walking out and having my dad beat her up. And, you know, I went to bed with these sort of things going on on a regular basis. And, um, you know, it sort of carried through. And when I was four years old, mum left after. My dad, you know, almost killed her and, yeah, so, you know, I was left with my dad and I had my two-year-old brother with me as well and, you know, I just remember waking up and, you know, my brother would be screaming out for my mum and, you know, dad would be in a room and I would be there with my brother trying to, you know, comfort him and read him books and, you know, calm him down. So, yeah, it was, um, it wasn't an easy start to life and, you know, Joel... My little brother, he, um, you know, he really struggled as well. And, you know, I'd be trying to change his diapers at four and, you know, I'm like, I didn't know what I was doing. And, yeah, but, um, you know, we um, we did it pretty tough growing up. And, you know, not long after mum left, my dad, you know, decided that we needed to leave. And, you know, this was this rash decision and I'm trying to figure out what's going on and we're getting thrown into this beaten up car and suddenly we're on a highway driving for hours and hours and... You know, we get to this place and my dad's just left me and my brother with these people and, you know, he's he's gone for weeks on end and, you know, this went on quite frequently where I'm left with strangers and, you know, I don't know where my dad is and I don't know what he's doing. Um, so what was he doing? Do you know? Yeah, you know, now now I'm aware what my dad was up to. He, um, you know, he was an addict and that was what he needed to be chasing and he needed to be getting his next hit and... You know, he he was selling drugs to support his habit. Yeah. And so did these people look after you? They did, you know, and, um, you know, I was always very wary and I was scared of people, um, you know, growing up being abused by my dad. But, um, you know, it it was always a tense experience, um, never knowing where my parents were or what was going on. But, um, you know, these, these people, they were okay, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, and so 
your dad's health and mental health was that a problem as well? Yeah, it was. It was quite a problem. My dad, um, he was a paranoid schizophrenic with bipolar disorder, and um, well, good combo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. It was really unpredictable for me as a kid, you know. Um, my dad would sort of mm-hmm. go on these um, these rants and, you know, one minute he'd be hard into drug using and the next minute he'd be a born-again Christian. And, you know, as a, as a four- to six-year-old, it's a really, yeah. really confusing thing to be experiencing. Yeah, I'm sure. So um, what was his attitude towards you as you and your brother? Um, Were you a burden or...? I felt very much that I was a burden. Mm. Um, it was made pretty clear to me that my dad didn't like females and he never wanted a daughter. So um, my experience with my dad was quite different to my brother where, yeah. um, you know, I was forced to cook and clean and um, my brother was allowed to play with other kids but I'd be locked in a room, um, you know, sometimes for 24, 48 hours. Um, I wouldn't be fed. I'd be locked in cupboards, um, you know, and there was no real basic care there and I remember screaming and crying while I'm trying to fold up clothes and, you know, there's there's no one there to come and, come and save me. You must have felt dreadful. I did feel dreadful, <laughs> dreadful to say the least. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so did that continue on like that? Yeah, for the time that I was with my dad, um, you know, this this behaviour continued and, um, you know, I was I was very frightened of my dad. Um, you know, there'd be times where he'd be up for days on end um, injecting and, you know, he'd come in and he'd be, like, just crazy, absolutely crazy and, you know, I'd, I'd be terrified of him and I'd run off and I'd be hiding under my bed or, you know, running out of the house to anywhere where I could get away from him. Mm. So did he beat you? Yeah, he beat me regularly. Um, quite, quite badly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how long did you stay with your dad? Um, so I was with my dad up until the age of six. Um, and at this point he had left my brother and I, um, with my mum. And yeah, I remember being with her and, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't that excited to be back with her because by this point, you know, I'm very angry at my mother for leaving me with my mm. dad. Like, you know, how dare she leave me with this person that, um, that was hurting me. And, you know, so I, I sort of was very unsure about things at that point. But, um, yeah, a couple of weeks later, I get a phone call and, um, you know, my mum's on the phone and she gets off and she's like, you know, your dad never wants to see you again. And, you know, I never saw my dad again. Yeah. Did you ever want to? Um, there was, there was, it was very confusing for me because, you know, I went in this, this relationship with my mum that was really toxic as well. And, you know, my mum would be having nervous breakdowns and, um, I'd be trying to take care of her and take care of me and take care of my brother. And, you know, my mum, um, you know, I became a punching bag for my mum as well. And, you know, it was at these times where I really started to hate her that for whatever reason, I'd want to be back with my dad because it was kind of like this, um, this thing where maybe the grass is greener, but, you know, also I, I hate him too. Yeah. Okay. So did, how did you find going to school then? Um, school was a really, really difficult time for me. Um, my dad, um, you know, sorry, just um, my head's in two different places right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah school was hard for me. Um, you know, I didn't have um, my mum that was available to, you know, get me ready for school. And, you know, I'd take myself to school and um, the kids, the kids would tease me a lot because I was different and, you know, I wasn't able to communicate with kids. I didn't know how to play. Um, I was a really angry kid at that point. And, um, 
yeah, I just didn't, I didn't know what, what to do and how to be. And I, I was getting bashed, you know, from pretty much the first day I was going to kindergarten. Wow. <laughs> the level of abuse is, is staggering. It's just staggering. Um, so did you, um, how did your mum cope with having you and your brother back in her life? Uh, mum didn't cope very well. Um, she, she'd just gone through another breakup with a guy and, you know, she, she was young. My mum was really young and, you know, she had a lot of her own stuff going on. So, you know, she, she wasn't really present with my brother and I, and she had a lot of guilt about leaving my brother when he was young. And, um, you know, I felt quite angered by this because, you know, she'd left me too. And so, um, you know, for me, I, I feel that I was always, um, picking up the slack for her. Yeah, I'm sure you were. Um, so, did your um, did your mum have any other relationships with men? Yeah, look, um, when I first moved back with mum, it was quite a frequent um, occurrence for my mum to be seeing different people, and you know this angered me a lot. I um, I really didn't like men. I didn't want them anywhere near my mum. Um, you know, I wanted to to have my mum to me. Um, even though, you know, I had a lot of mixed feelings towards her and, you know, I didn't want any men in my house. Yeah. So did you have stable accommodation through your, through that period with your mum? Look, we moved around a lot and, you know, there was some places where, you know, my mum didn't really know stranger danger very well either, I don't think. And, you know, there were periods where my brother and I would be left in, in houses with people to care for us where you know there were there were children being sexually abused yeah yeah okay doesn't sound good um so back at school then were did you find school difficult apart from the emotional bullying and stuff um no look I was quite an academic kid I you know I, I think I used um reading and writing and my schooling as an escape and you know I was I was quite good at it and you know it was my one way of seeking validation from adults you know um I'd always try and do really well at school so you know I I got a pat on the back from my teachers okay um and so what about moving to secondary school did it change yeah secondary school was um an absolute game changer I think because you know throughout primary school I was you know I was much more a tomboy. I hung out with the boys. I was quite an angry kid and, um, you know, I'd be rough. And, and then, you know, I sort of get to 13 years old and suddenly I, I'm not, you know, a girl anymore. I, I'm not allowed to play with the boys because I, um, I look different. And, you know, I, I go from sort of being a tomboy to being a sex object. And that was, um, that was a really confusing time for me. Um, you know, I, I just wanted some validation and, you know, I wanted people to, to like me and, you know, I think I went about it in, in any way that I could. Yeah. And so were you, was your mum able to help you with that transition or not? Oh, not at all. Look, no. mum wasn't available for me um, emotionally or, or physically really, no. Yeah. And so how did you cope with that at school? Um, look, I – it was kind of like the blind leading the blind, really. I, um, you know, I just kind of – you know, I, I hung out with the boys. I um, I really struggled to make to make friends in high school and, you know, I was bullied by the girls a lot because, you know, I was getting attention from the boys. And so, you know, it was um, it was a difficult time for me and so 
I um, I didn't spend much time at school. For me, my solution to the problem was really, um, you know, getting my schoolwork once or once a week or once a fortnight, going home and sort of teaching myself. Yeah. So how did the teachers cope with that? Look, I think the teachers knew what was going on. Um, they sort of would ask me if I was okay, if everything was all right at home. Um, they they were aware, uh, they were aware of the bullying happening. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I never wanted to be a dibber dobber. I sort of just kept everything to myself and I was a real sort of closed book growing up. Yep. Okay. Um, so that takes an emotional toll on you, all that stuff that you've got to deal with. Yeah. So how did you cope with, with that ongoing? Yeah, look, um, my coping strategy was eating disorders. I, um, you know, I used eating disorders to numb my pain and to sort of escape escape my reality and you know they really became a big part of my story from the age of about 13. Right so when did you discover alcohol? Um, I discovered alcohol around the same time um, around 13 years old and you know I I drank to oblivion. (laughs) Right okay (laughs) so did it um, did you find that it made you feel better was that the you know did you did it make you feel worthwhile? Did it give you a sense of purpose? Honestly, no. Um, for me, I was in such a, a, a place of self-loathing and, you know, I, I just hated myself and, you know, I was really on this um, rampage to, to destruct myself in any way and, you know, growing up in the environment that I did, I, I never wanted to drink and, you know, I definitely never wanted to use drugs because I could see, you know, the impact of this but... You know, when I really started to hate myself, I didn't care anymore and, you know, using alcohol was another way to hurt myself. Yeah, it, um, it certainly is. Um, it was very effective, if I can say that. So how did it make you feel afterwards? I'm saying alcohol is, is something that is a good instantaneous problem solver, mm. but eventually it wears off. So what's it like coming out of that when you tried to drown drown your sorrows or or sort of lose yourself what's it like coming out of that and realizing that everything's still the same yeah look um yeah I think I think for me it was more I I would wake up with that guilt shame and remorse you know because I'd be drinking to blackout and you know I'd wake up and you know I think about like who I was with that night and what I did and you know, I, I was terrified that people would find out and, you know, there was another reason for people to tease me, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's pretty relevant. Um, so did you stay with your mum? Um, look, I stayed with my mum until I was 15 and at this point I sort of um, had been brought to my knees with um, my eating disorder and I, I, I reached out for help because, you know, I couldn't get out of bed anymore. Um, I could barely stay awake and I was extremely ill. And, you know, um, I ended up being taken to a doctor and the doctor said to me, you've got two choices. You either move out of home or you go to hospital and you're not going to finish year 10. And for me, that, that wasn't an option. And, you know, um, I was very fortunate that I had... Um, a friend's family that offered for me to move in with them until I finished school. Yeah. So what did your mum think? Look, I honestly think my mum was happy to see the back of me. Yeah. Like, in all honesty, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, And so how did you 
I guess from a friendship perspective, how did you have this good friend who was sort of looking after you? How did that happen? Um, I I actually helped her a lot um, through some of her own issues and her parents um, were really grateful for, for what I did for her and so yep. they they sort of took me in. Okay. Yeah, that's that sounds pretty um, normal because um, you're often attracted to people who have um, similar experience to you, you know, like the underdogs and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what was I going to say? Um, so how long did you stay with them? Oh, I the stayed other, with yeah. them um, from about 15 and a half up until 18 when I finished school. Okay, yeah. right. Well, listen, we, um, we might take a quick break. Uh, I've got a song called Take Me Home from Thea Gilmore from uh, way back in 2001. Fever every Saturday night from 11 pm only on 3CR. You're listening to the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM radio and 3CR on digital radio. Uh, we've got over 90 episodes of the show available as podcasts and they're available from our website, which is 3cr.org.au forward slash living free. So you can check them out. Uh, if you want to send us a message, you can either contact the station on 9419 8377 or email us. Our email address is 3 free at gmail.com and we're also on Twitter as 3 free. I'm talking with Jasmine and we're talking about recovering from alcoholism with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I think when we left you were 18 yeah. and you were thinking, I think, of going to uni. So... So you're still staying with your friend's family? Yeah, so um, I was with my friend's family till the end of Christmas and then, yeah, I sort of packed my car and off I was to to university to live on campus there. And, you know, that for me was finally like freedom. You know, I'd been living with um, my friend's dad who was quite old school. So there was no partying really going on while I was there and it was... um, you know, every, everything was well behaved, but um, once once I arrived at campus, things changed in a big way. Yeah, I was I was going to ask you about that. So, having all this sort of drink drink problems and living with another family, their ability to cope with your behaviour, but you you actually said that you moderated your behaviour while you lived with them. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, you know, at the end of the day, I was really grateful for what they were doing for me. And I was willing to sort of live under their roof and go by their rules. 
because, you know, I, I could see what they were doing for me and I really appreciated it. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So getting to uni then, you had this freedom where you didn't have to conform to anything. What happened? Um, it got really wild really, really fast and, you know, finally I could do whatever I wanted and, you know, I, I started to have these friends and, you know, I just I still wanted to be liked, you know, I still struggled a lot with who I was and being in my own skin and, you know, social anxiety and these things. So, you know, once I discovered that um, there was alcohol available and it was cool to drink and and I became a different person when I drank, I, I became confident and I felt like I fitted in and I was one of the cool kids, you know, this is what I'd always wanted. And so um, I drank and I drank and I drank and I drank really, really well and I drank with everybody who drank like me. And you could drink better than they could? Yeah, like for yeah. me, there was just no switch. Yeah. There was no switch. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people don't understand that, that you can just keep on drinking, but, you know, that, that's a, a skill of alcoholics. See, for me, I mean, recently this is something I've only just realised that, you know, other people have a switch and they stop. Like I just felt like why would why? you stop? Yeah, that's right. I, I couldn't understand. It's like breathing, yeah. 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 So when did you realise that alcohol was a problem? Um, I think quite early on there was little things for me where, um, I, I would, you know, I'm trying to do this university degree and, but every night I'm out drinking and then I'm like, you know, it's midnight. I realize I've got an assessment due the next day and I'm freaking out. And then, you know, I'm, I'm getting to this point where I'm like, oh, you know, it's probably time to to not drink so much and, and so that you can do these things. And, you know, I started to feel really unwell. I started to get really physically ill, but, um, you know, I couldn't stop drinking. You know, every night I'd be out drinking. And um, by the end of my first year, I, I got to a place where I wasn't able to continue studying. Yeah. So did the other students pick on you for, for not, not conforming in the classroom? No, not really, because I didn't really go to class that much. Okay. And, um, and, you know, I sort of used my old tricks that I did with um, with high school where it was doctor certificates and, um, yeah, sort of going in, getting my work, just kind of cutting corners. Any way that I didn't have to sit in that classroom, I was going to yep. find a way to do it, yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> um, so how did you... Yeah, did you make friends at uni that persisted? Um, look, when I first got to uni, I I did make friends and um, I did have some good friends. But um, but what happened? Like after I left in my like at the end of my first year, I I started working at a bar and you know I lost contact with a lot of these friends. Okay, um, so. Uh, What's it like working, being an alcoholic and working in a bar? Well, it disguises your alcoholism, really. Yeah. And, um, you know, it kind of, yeah, I, I just, I was in a weird place. And, you know, I was really unsure about where I wanted to go because, you know, I um, I was unsure with my university degree. I was unsure with myself. And, you know, I was really struggling with life at that point. And, you know, I, I was around these people where I felt like, I could be a little bit broken. Like I felt like, yeah. you know, these people are a bit older and, um, 
you know, I, I seem to have been able to talk to people older than me. But, you know, at the same time, I thought, oh, like, gee, I do not want to be doing this for the rest of my life at all. This mm. is not where I want to be. So was there any period when you stopped drinking? There was periods where I did stop, but I, I was putting down the drink and I'd pick up an eating dis- like my eating disorder would go out of control. So, you know, there was always something there. There was always something that I was using to numb the way I felt. Okay. And so what about relationships? Um, relationships were really difficult for me. And I think, um, you know, battling with both alcoholism and eating disorders, it was a really, it was a really, really lonely place. It was really isolating. Um, I was full of shame and, you know, the sicker I got, the further I got away from people. And, um, yeah, it, it was a real struggle. So did you have any close relationships? Um, so towards the end of, um, that year, I, I met a guy who I ended up getting into a relationship with and it was quite it was quite toxic, um, to say the least, you know. And you know, I I couldn't I didn't feel like I could get away from this person and this person also was an alcoholic and used drugs frequently and um, you know, it was a really, really challenging time in my life and you know, it started to feel like um you know, I was really alone and this was the only person that I had in my life. Um, they had quite a narcissistic personality and, you know, that that's pretty non-surprising for me to end up with somebody like that. And, you know, I, um, yeah, I felt really, really stuck and any relationships that I did have dissipated. You know, I, I didn't feel like, um, yeah, I had anybody except for this person who was frequently telling me I was a nobody. Right, okay. So were you able to leave that relationship? Um, I tried to leave that relationship quite a few times and, you know, this person would find wherever I was and, um, you know, try and get me back and, you know, it it just kind of went on for a while, but in the end, um, you know, they, they cheated on me and, you know, I I got to a point where, you know, I said to them, look, I'm not going to be with you. Yep. Okay. So did you manage to get back to uni? Yeah, I did. Um, like one... Thing that this person did do was encourage me to go back to university so um yeah i i went back and you know i continued on um studying in a different degree so was that successful um look i always got good grades but when um my emotional situation um skyrocketed around the ending of this relationship I wasn't able to finish up um, that year. I um, I wasn't able to put in my last assessments, and yeah, sort of, I ended up flunking all my all my classes. Right, and I understand about this time your dad died too. Yeah, um, a few months after this, I got a phone call from my mum to say that my dad had hung himself. Right. Yeah, and okay. um, you know that was a really really confusing time in my life. I also had my younger brother living with me as well. Um, he'd moved up not long before because he was really struggling at home and was saying, you know, I, I feel suicidal, I can't live here anymore. And, um, yeah, it became a really intense time in my life where, you know, I was surrounded by people who were drug users and, you know, for me at that point in my life that seemed to be the solution to my problem was to use drugs because um, I had no capacity to be able to deal with what was going on in my life. Okay. It must have been pretty hard to support yourself in this financially yeah you know i i'd made some some decisions that you know really backfired on me i decided to leave my job as a result of um you know continuing 
um, using drugs because I wanted to go and party and, you know, I wanted to go and do all these things and my job seemed to be interfering with my life at that point. So, you know, I, I quit my job and, you know, and then suddenly reality hits home that, you know, I need to get to uni- I need to go back to uni, I need to get my own place so my brother my brother and I are in a more stable environment. Um, but I, I don't have any way of having an income. So, you know, my, my solution there was, was to start stripping. Yeah, and, um, you know, that's where my life started to change in a big way because, you know, um, my my using and my drinking changed because, you know, no longer was I in a party environment just taking party drugs. I was using um, cocaine to get through the night and, you know, that was my way of making money. Yeah, it must have cost you a lot too. It didn't cost me a lot. <laughs> okay. You know, being right. a young pretty girl, okay. um, yeah. you know, it... Um, it, it costed me a lot emotionally and psychologically, but financially, no, it didn't. No. Okay. Um, so how did you escape that in in sense? Um, I couldn't escape it. I I was so stuck in that world and, you know, I, I, I was dealing with a lot of trauma and I wasn't able to pull myself back up. I, I, I kept... For whatever reason, I kept falling in deeper and deeper into this world and, you know, I was around a lot of illegal activity and, um, you know, a lot of um, a lot of a lot of stuff went on for me there. Um, but I, I couldn't seem to get myself out and, and it wasn't until things got really bad until, um, you know, I ended up being sex- drugged and sexually assaulted um, that, you know, the lights sort of started to come on that I couldn't keep going. But... You know, I lived a double life and the people who did care about me had no idea about what was actually going on for me. They didn't really see the struggle um, that was going on with my with my drug use and, and what the reality of my lifestyle was in the world I was in. And, um, yeah, it wasn't until this event happened that my drinking and using absolutely spiraled out of control and I had absolutely no control over what I was doing anymore. Okay. Right. Awesome. We might take a quick break there. Um, We've got another song. Uh, This one's called Where Have I Gone by Rachel Morrison. Panorama, panpipe, pansy, aha, pansexual, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope... Only on 3CR, 855am digital and 3cr.org.au.
This is The Living Free Show on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Um, I'm talking with Jasmine, and we're talking about recovery from alcoholism. Um, so, Jasmine, um, we, we finished up with you at a very low point where you felt your life was out of control and drinking was a real problem. So how did that make you feel? Yeah, look, um, at this point, I was honestly just, I was scared for my own life. I, um, you know, I'd leave the house every night and before I, I left that house, I'd be I'd be praying to a God, anything that was up there. You know, at this point, like, in my life, I, I never believed in any particular faith or anything, but I, w- I was absolutely terrified because I, I didn't know if I was going to make it home that night or not. And I, I didn't know if I was going to end up you know, murdered and in a gutter or, you know, sexually assaulted again or physically assaulted, you know, I, I, I didn't I didn't know. I didn't know if I was going to die from an overdose or, you know, my life was absolutely out of control. So what did you do? Um, yeah, so, you know, I'm going through this phase over a couple of months and I just had this voice in my head that was just getting louder and louder and louder just telling me that I was going to die. And I could see that this was something that was going to happen and, you know, so I, um, you know, my solution to my problem was just to get away from everything and go as far away as possible. And um, I ended up putting my stuff in storage and um, packing my car and driving to Alice Springs because, you know, I thought, you know, I'll, I'll go and I'll, I'll hike through the desert and I can sober myself up. And, you know, this is just this is just where I was at. And I think for me, um, you know, even as a little kid, there was this part of me that, I knew that there was something more than me and I, I needed to connect to something that was going to help me, that, you know, that maybe, you know, there's there's answers and I need to find these answers. And I think after the sexual assault, I I started to have a lot more come up a, a, about my life. Um, you know, a lot of that stuff that I'd, I'd buried so deep down, it was starting to come mm. up and, you know... I was just drinking and, and using to, to numb myself and, and to try and get away from that. But, yeah, I'd just gone to this point where I'd realised that that wasn't an option anymore and it wasn't working. Everything had stopped working and, and I need to keep myself alive and, you know, I, re- I needed help. Yeah. Um, so going on a on an escape, mm. what, what did that do for you? Um, well, I... I left my cigarettes, I had no alcohol, I had no Valium, I had I had no substances, I had nothing to numb myself out and so it was actually quite a confronting, frustrating, um, anger-inducing experience but at the same time it sort of, um, it, it did give me this distance from that that world and I, I, and I, although I was, you know, in, in this arid land with nobody else around me and no way of communicating to people I felt safe because I wasn't um, around people that could hurt me or um, you know there was no drugs and alcohol available at that point but um, you know and and it's just such a crazy ride because I think you know deep down you know I'm there and I'm doing all these things to get away from this problem like this drinking this using because I'm scared but and on the other hand, like there's just this level of denial that existed in me, and you know, I get off this hike, and you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm still beside myself, and you know, the, the next minute I've got a drink in my hand, and you know, this is just I couldn't understand, I could no. not understand what was Crazy. going on. Crazy, yeah, yeah. So what, what did you do 
when you realised that you couldn't really get away from the drink? Yeah, look, at this point, I'm I'm going, you know, it, it's probably, you know, you need to go to rehab. Like, there were people saying to me, you know, you're a hot mess and you need to get to rehab. And, you know, I'm really going, yeah, but I've had all this stuff happen to me and you'd be doing the same thing, now shut your mouth. And, you know, a real tip on my shoulder and a real attitude. But, you know, deep down I'm getting to this point where I'm realising that I cannot live my life Um you know, everything that I'm trying isn't working and I can't save myself anymore. And so I drive um, I drive from Alice Springs to Byron Bay and, and I stay with a friend there for a little while and, you know, I'm, I'm sort of coming to terms with more things. And, you know, one part of me is like, no, nope, I can... Um, I can go and I can get a normal job and, and everything's going to be okay. And then there's that other part Complete that's... Complete denial, yeah. Yeah, and then there's that other part that's screaming out, like, you can't sleep, you're not eating, like, you're an absolute mess. Like, it's probably time to, to ask for help. And, you know, and so I I decide that, you know, I'm going to go to rehab. And my solution to that is just, oh, I'll go back to Sydney, I'll work for a week and I'll have the money to get to rehab. And, you know, I get to Sydney and I'm, you know straight away I'm with a really dangerous person in a really dangerous situation and, you know, I'm sexually assaulted again. And, you know, that for me was was the absolute rock bottom. And, you know, I just remember being like high on drugs, trying to call rehabs and, and, and trying to get help and drinking and just, you know, I, I just didn't know where to go from that point and I had nowhere to live. I was incapable of going back to work. I, I had nothing and, you know, I'd run out of money and so the last thing for me to do was actually to pick up that phone and, and call somebody who I knew and I felt that I could trust and, you know, ask for some help. Yeah. So did they get you to rehab? Yeah, look, they did. They um they 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 saved my life, you know. They they came and they got me and, you know, they, they sent me off to rehab. Okay. And so did rehab introduce you to AA? Yeah, it was rehab that I that I learned about AA and, and a twelve step program. Yeah. Um prior to that I had had no idea. No, it's yeah. funny, isn't it? Yeah, people just don't know. But um, so in in AA, then were you? Uh, did you feel comfortable going to AA? Honestly, no. I um, you know, I, I've just gotten to rehab. I've been diagnosed with severe complex PTSD, and um, you know, the the idea of being around, you know, any men especially, um, terrified me. You know, I don't have anything to to numb me out from what's going on and you know I get to this AA meeting and there's a whole bunch of guys there and I'm like oh my god like what what am I doing here and um the thing is though I I started reading this book and these people were so beautiful and so welcoming to me and you know we start reading this book and it's like suddenly I everything that I've been asking for you know like this book is telling me how to live my life this book is telling me how to live my life and, yep. you know, this is what I've been asking for. So were you willing to do it? Um, I, I, by, the, by this point, my ego had been so deflated and um, the denial had been removed enough for me to go, you know what, I just cannot run, run my own life anymore and, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to, takes to get well and, you know, alcohol or no alcohol, I'm, I'm going to be doing this. Um, so was that, did you find yourself, um, did AA give you that ability just to live your life at that point? No. No? I still, like, I, I had to deal with a lot of things. And I, I, um, 
I was pretty broken at, at when I first walked into the rooms, but you know what the rooms did give me is a safe place to go to. It gave me a place where I knew that I could turn up and I was going to be taken care of and I was around people for the first time in my life who understood me, who had compassion for me and, you know, who could hold me up and who I could rely on when I couldn't do it for myself. Yeah, and also provide you with a structure. As Absolutely. A, structure, a framework um, for you to live within. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, there's, there's um, you know, all these tools that, you know, and that, that people are handing me and, you know, I've got people in these rooms who, you know, have been sober for 30 years, you know, there's there's the parents that I never got, there's the grandparents that I never got and, yeah. you know, they're the passing family, on yeah. this wisdom and this knowledge that, um, you know, I just never got. I, I, I came came into life with an empty toolkit and, um, and suddenly, you know, I'm somewhere that's describing me and telling me what my actual problem is and it's giving me all these tools to fix this problem and to live a, to live an amazing life. Yeah. So did you stay sober? So for the first um, nine months of my sobriety, I, you know, I, I was a bit crazy, you know, and I'm trying to, I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do everything that I'm told and, and I feel awful and I'm, I'm battling all this other crap that's going on, but I'm just going to keep going with it and... You know, I, I I came back to um, Melbourne from Thailand, and you know, I was I was a little bit like, oh, I don't really know if I like these people, and you know, it's this whole thing of it's a new place, and I I sort of pulled away from the program and ended up picking up a drink, and you know, at that point, that that's where my surrender happened, and that's when I really realised I was an alcoholic. You know, to sit in a room for nine months, almost every single day, and then to somehow tell myself I'm not an alcoholic when clearly I am. Yeah. Um, that That's where I go, okay, you, you're a bit nuts and, you know, it's time to sort of um, do this. And, you know, I, I really vowed to myself that, you know, so much of this pain and suffering and trauma that I'd experienced was a result of, you know, my drinking and using the decisions that I made and I didn't want to do that to myself anymore, you know. No one had hurt me as much as I'd hurt me. No, that's our ability to do that to ourselves is beyond conception, isn't it? It's um, um, so coming back into Alcoholics Anonymous after a break, mm. did you find people were accepting of you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know these these people who didn't know me welcomed me with open arms, and there was absolutely no judgment. <sighs> yes, it's it's pretty amazing, isn't it? That or, you just have to turn up at an yeah. AA meeting and you're okay. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, for me, I just thought, well, these people are nuts and I don't trust them and what's going on, what do they want from me? Because, um, you know, that that was my experience yeah. and, and it's only been through my process in AA and how I care, like I have so much compassion and empathy for these people, these newcomers that are coming that I'm like, oh, they did really care about me, <laughs> you know. There's all this yeah. stuff going on but, um, you know, people do care. Yeah, yeah. So going from, I guess, a, a person who enjoyed a drink to not drinking now, so what's that like in your life today when you go to a party or something? Yeah, today, look, my life is so different to what it was. I, You know, I'm worlds away from where I was and I think, you know, the people that come into my life now don't really drink and 
if there's alcohol around, you know, I know I'm an alcoholic and it's just not an option. Like I know that I'm not somebody who can drink. It's not a luxury in my life. But, you know, as a result of putting down alcohol, I have all these other luxuries that I never had in the past. Mm. So has that meant that you're more stable in relationships and um, your relationship with your family? Look, my relationship with my family is limited, but it's limited with love now rather than, you know, anger and blame and all these sorts of things. Yeah, but, um, but I have so many amazing people in my life that, you know, I have these beautiful relationships with where, you know, I'm at a point where, you know, I can start to be vulnerable with people and, um, you know, and let people into my life. And, you know, I'm consistent. I don't, you know, I don't flake out on people. I'm available when people need me. And, you know, that feels amazing. I don't have to worry about, you know, the next day waking up feeling like not good about myself because I wasn't there for a friend that needed me. Mm. Yeah. And I guess the other thing is they don't care about your history. They, they listen to your story, but they don't care about your history. Yeah. That's, that's past. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. 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 Um, so what sort of things do you do in AA that give you pleasure? Within AA? Um, yeah. Working with others. Yeah, okay. You know, like working with other people and other alcoholics is, is the gift of sobriety, I think, and, um, you know, just being able to pass the message on and, you know, walking into a detox or a rehab or, you know, going and talking to someone who's just arrived and, you know, it just takes you right back to, to where you were and, you know, that feeling um, and just being able to go, you know what, well, I've been where you are and I promise you that if you do this, it will work and, and there is a life beyond your wildest dreams on the other end, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, listen, we, we're nearly at time. Um there's been some uh, issues discussed in this um, interview that may affect some people. So we talked about sexual assault uh, and abuse. Um, and so if you've got any um, issues uh, about the things that were raised here and if they cause you distress, you can call Lifeline on 131114, um, 1-800-RESPECT on 1-800-737-732. Uh, the Rape and Domestic Violence Services Australia, 1800 211 028, uh, or WIRE, 1300 134 130. Okay, um, we're just about up to time. Um, so, is there anything that you'd like to say to anybody out there who's drinking who has a similar story to you, you know, about what AA has done and how it can help? Yeah, look. Um AA, AA has totally changed my life and, you know, it's not just by going in there and, and reading a book or, you know, whatever stereotypes are, are there. You know, AA offers so many things in different areas of of our life and, and my life, you know, it's given me um, a group of people who understand me and are living a life, you know, based on spiritual principles where, you know, we're all trying to better ourselves and, um, you know, and it gives me a guidebook for life. You know, it gives me these tools that I didn't have in the past and, you know, by working the program and um, and finding another way to live and, and believing in something that's, you know, more powerful than I am, um, you know, it keeps me connected and, you know, it, it gives me faith and it gives me hope um, in moving forward and, you know, just in the, the two years that I've been around the rooms, like, 
I couldn't even ever imagine that this is where I would be today. And, you know, it is all thanks to, to this program and, you know, the people that have come into my life and helped me. Okay, thank you. Um, if anybody would like to find out more about Alcoholics Anonymous, then you can phone them on 1300 or you can go online at aa.org.au. Uh, that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank uh, Jasmine for coming in to the 3CR studio today and sharing her Alcoholics Anonymous recovery with experience with us. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I hope you're about to join us again next week when we'll be talking about recovery from drug addiction and we'll be joined by some members of Narcotics Anonymous. Stay tuned now for Black Noise Radio, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news and views, current affairs, uh, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. Uh, Thanks again for listening to Living Free program today. And to take us out, we've got a song called Sinking Like a Stone by Liz Stringer. Thank you.